0: San Francisco is now home to the nation's first restaurant for dogs, serves pastries, dogachinos, and on Sunday, soup and a $75 three-course <laughs> tasting menu. Patrons are encouraged to slurp up this their soup from the bowl. Yeah,
1: it's the pictures that they had in the San Francisco Chronicle where the story broke are absolutely adorable because it looks exactly the same as a restaurant for people, only all the booths are filled with dogs and they're slurping the soup from the bowl.
0: I think one of the reasons that I find this so amusing is because I'm wondering what the dogs are thinking while they're sitting there.
1: They're thinking, this is how it should open. <laughs> Always be. What took you so long? Hello and welcome to This Week in Animal Protection. We're the Winograd's. I'm Nathan.
0: And I'm Jennifer. The dedication in our cookbook, All-American Vegan, reads, To our great-grandchildren, may you inherit the world of which we only dream. Throughout the book, we share a perspective on how our species came to be one of the primary sources of non-human suffering and death, but more importantly, what we can do to begin to set our species on another path, one that leads to a kinder, better, and brighter future for animals. Nathan and I have dedicated ourselves to doing our part to build this kind of society, one in which animals enjoy all the rights and privileges of citizenship, which is why we often refer to animals in our country as non-human Americans. But in a democracy, how do you represent the interests of individuals who cannot make their will known? How do we enfranchise individuals who cannot cast a vote? The answer is to devise a system whereby others are tasked with representing the needs and rights of animals on their behalf. We do it on behalf of children and incapacitated adults, and we can do it on behalf of animals too. This week, President Biden took what history will likely regard as an important first step in this direction by appointing a special envoy for animals at the State Department. An announcement about that appointment stated, overfishing, pollution, pesticides, disease, urban sprawl, and of course climate change contribute to declines in imperiled species populations worldwide. The announcement noted that it would be the envoy's job to help the U.S. and other countries address these threats to animals. Unfortunately, while the act of appointing a person tasked with representing the interest of animals is progress, we fear that the philosophy by which this particular envoy will approach this critical task is not. In fact, rather than looking to create a brighter future, the special envoy appears committed to defending an antiquated one that will exacerbate rather than lessen non-human suffering and death. If you want to skip ahead to that discussion, see the time signature in the attached article. Otherwise, we'll start with the week's news. Okay, Nathan, some good news out of California. In keeping with the theme of this week's podcast, which is important precedents being set, SB 879 was signed into law.
1: Right. So let's focus on the positive first. Senate Bill 879 bans the testing of pesticides, chemical substances, and other products on cats and dogs. And although the legislative sponsor called this type of toxicity testing barbaric, it does unfortunately exempt medical testing and federally required testing from the ban. So it's primarily geared towards consumer and industrial products made in California. But that doesn't mean the testing itself is going to stop because it only applies to dogs and cats and not other animals. So unfortunately, it may mean that producers shift their testing to these other animals like rats, mice, and others.
0: Okay, so what we want to focus on is the fact, though, that precedent of banning particular types of testing has been established, and that's actually opens the door for further reform.
1: Right. When it comes to legislation, all or nothing usually means nothing for the animals. And in this case, it does set an important precedent of, one, acknowledging that these tests are cruel, and two, banning two species from being tested on. And if history is any guide, and of course it is, it is (laughs) that allows us to essentially set a beachhead and eventually open the door even wider to incorporate more species of animals and eventually ban this kind of testing altogether.
0: And to your point, while the California ban exempts federally required testing, federal law requiring animal tests may be changed as well. The Senate has passed the FDA Modernization Act. Tell us what that legislation does.
1: Senate Bill 2952 removes a requirement that drugs have to be tested on animals before they could be used on humans in clinical trials. Instead, what the bill does is give the drug sponsors the option to use other kinds of tests which are scientifically rigorous and proven, such as cell-based assays, organ chips, computer models, and other non-animal or human biology-based test methods. These technologies will certainly spare the lives of a lot of animals.
0: Okay, well, that's great news. Because, you know, when it comes to living a cruelty-free lifestyle, it's easy to do with consumer products. It's easy to do in terms of our food choices, but it is almost impossible to do when it comes to life-saving drugs. And this will provide yet another opportunity to make it easier for people to live in line with their values. And speaking of technology, President Biden has issued an executive order regarding the production of lab-grown meat.
1: Right. And because of that executive order, companies that create lab grown steak, chicken, and fish without killing animals believe that the United States is on the cusp of allowing the sale of these products. President Biden's executive order requires the Secretary of Agriculture, who oversees the country's food supply, to create and expand market opportunities for, quote, bioenergy and bio-based products and services. And the Department of Agriculture, in turn, says it is working on rules related to the labeling of cultivated meat and poultry products.
0: So Nathan, first of all, give us a definition of what cultivated meat is, and then give us some background on what the consumption relating to lab-grown meat is across the world and why, therefore, this is an important step forward for the United States.
1: Well, cultivated meat or lab-grown meat is made from a one-time draw of stem cells, and then those stem cells are replicated in a laboratory and grown in an animal-free medium to produce real meat from the animals without killing the animal. And while cultivated chicken has been sold in Singapore for the last two years, right now it's the only country in the world where that is allowed. And that is truly unfortunate, not only because the technology exists now to create and for people to eat chicken without harming chickens, but U.S. companies say that they have products ready to go right now, and companies in other parts of the world like Israel and China also say that they are on the verge of producing lab-grown meat.
0: So Biden's executive order actually just pushes the process forward whereby it can be legally sold in the U.S.
1: Right. And as one of the largest consumer markets in the world, and where America goes, so goes the world. Once the market opens up for lab-grown products in the United States, then it should spread all over the world very rapidly from there. And also, it's not just lab-grown meat for human consumption. As we reported on a previous podcast, Hills Pet Nutrition is also expected to start selling dog and cat food made from cultivated meat within the next two years.
0: And speaking of pets, this week's news has been dominated by the aftereffect of Hurricane Ian slamming into Florida. And what we saw was that the way that companion animals were talked about was markedly different than they have been in the past.
1: Right. And not just talked about, but actually treated. We saw for the first time government rescuers actually pulling not just people, but animals out of the rising floodwaters. And the Orange County, Florida government actually issued a statement saying pets are family, period. Wow. And that is a pretty significant departure from past disasters where people were either told to leave their pets behind by government rescuers or where the animals had to be rescued by private organizations or individual rescuers
0: and in another first san francisco is now home to the nation's first restaurant for dogs dog i think i'm saying that correctly i hope i'm saying that correctly
1: it's d o g u e yeah
0: serves pastries dogachinos and on Sunday, soup and a $75 three-course <laughs> tasting menu. Patrons are encouraged to slurp up this their soup from the bowl. Yeah,
1: it's the pictures that they had in the San Francisco Chronicle where the story broke are absolutely adorable because it looks exactly the same as a restaurant for people, only all the booths are filled with dogs and they're slurping the soup from the bowl.
0: I think one of the reasons that I find this so amusing is because I'm wondering what the dogs are thinking while they're sitting there.
1: They're thinking this is how it should all. <laughs> always be what took you so long?
0: Well, we certainly know that dogs deserve it. And this—and while some may consider a $75 three-course tasting menu to be a bit excessive, really it's a special occasion way to pay back our dogs for how much they give to us, including being there not just during the good times, but the bad times as well. In fact, dogs have a knack for always being there, especially in times when we're upset or in need. And now science proves that it is in fact no accident. So Nathan, you've often told me that when you're on your walk and you're in your head and you're you're thinking about things that upset you and you start gritting your teeth, Ozzy will sort of stop dead in his tracks and look up at your face and somehow he understands that you're upset and is trying to figure out. What's going on?
1: Right, he checks in, and he literally cocks his head to the side the way like, dogs "Are you okay, do. buddy?" Yeah, and he <laughs> asks me, and by looking at me, "Are you okay?" And it actually takes me out of my head, and I look at him, and I realize I've been thinking some unpleasant thoughts, usually related to the animal protection <laughs> movement, <laughs> and uh, and tell him you're a good boy, and it has nothing to you to do with you. And yes, I'm okay, and he will literally carry on.
0: And it probably makes you feel better when he does that and he checks in just to try to not only just bring you back to earth, but let you know that someone's seeing that you're suffering and
1: cares. Right. He definitely shows me that he cares about me and it does take me out of my head and into the present and improves my mood. And in fact, dogs are so attuned to human emotions that Prior studies have shown that they can categorize the mood of people, whether they are in a good mood or a bad mood, just by looking at their facial expressions.
0: In fact, they are so good at this that they can figure out whether someone is happy or angry just by looking at the top half of somebody's face. But a new study has said that, in fact, they don't even have to look at us to know that something might be wrong.
1: Exactly right. A new study finds that dogs can detect when people are upset just by their smell. So apparently when we are under stress... Both in our breath and off of our bodies. We, release, we smell
0: when we're We upset. smell bad.
1: We release volatile organic oh, wow. compounds in response to stress and dogs can pick it up. So we reek of being angry. <laughs> and maybe that's why Ozzy stops dead in his trap, no matter what he's doing on his walk, and he looks up at me to see if I'm okay. So, anyways, that alone is worth the $75 three three course tasting menu and Don't live in San Francisco, right? (laughs) And so while we laugh, this study and the stories we've been reporting on this week clearly show that we are making tremendous progress both in the way we relate and treat animals and in our understanding of our relationship with animals, which can only further enhance it. However, this next story, which is no laughing matter, clearly shows that there are still some organizations and some elements in our society that refuse to come willingly, that are kicking and screaming in trying to drag us back in time. And unfortunately, this next story is like getting into a time machine and going back to the early 1990s before the onset of the no-kill movement.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this 15-minute sample of This Week in Animal Protection. The entirety of this week's news and our main discussion are available only to subscribers. If you want to listen to this podcast in future episodes in their entirety, please subscribe at nathanwinograd.substack.com.